0: Yeah, it's so good to worship together. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. May that resonate within each and every one of us this morning. Uh, today we're continuing in our beautiful attitudes uh, learning adventure teaching series through the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is week number five, and uh, today's message is called "Aurora Borealis." Aurora Borealis. So anyone know what the Aurora Borealis is? All right, you do, all right, what is it? What's its other name? The Northern Lights, Lights. good job. All right, my work is done here, (laughs) let's pray. (laughs) That was easy, thanks. Uh, I remember the very, has anyone ever seen the Northern Lights, the Aurora Borealis? I remember the very first time I actually saw the Aurora Borealis or the Northern Lights. Uh, One night, many years ago, I was living in a small town uh, north of Jefferson City, uh, Missouri called Holt Summit, um, which is just north of the Missouri River, if you're geographically lost in my reference there, middle of the state, north of the river. It was during, a, during the winter and I had stepped out onto our back deck, um, which was attached to our dining room, and it had a really nice clear view of the northern sky. I remember going out there and looking up at the, expecting to just see the stars and perhaps the moon, but I remember looking up into the darkened sky and instead seeing these billowing strands of what looked like faint silk in the sky. Uh, green and yellow, with hints of blue, it was majestic. It was wonderful looking. Uh, these haunting lights in the sky—they they waved slowly and silently. They were lengthening and then withdrawing there, high above the earth. And I was just captured. I, w- I was I was spellbound. Have you um, the they uh, the Northern Lights or Aurora Borealis? They are otherworldly. If you look at them, there's something about them that is so other, I mean, especially here in the middle of the United States, right? You don't see them very often, and it's just like, this, this is something else. They seem otherworldly, an undulating ribbon of light emanating from the high atmosphere up above the North Pole. Now, as you probably know, I'm gonna bore you with some details here, but the Aurora Borealis is formed by plasma particles from the sun. Did anybody not know that? I didn't, I had to look it up actually. (laughs) I had no idea where the Aurora Borealis actually came from. Turns out it's plasma particles that have come from the sun. As solar winds hurtle these particles toward the earth, traveling 93 million miles in about 40 hours, that's fast, they're then drawn to collect and gather around the Earth's magnetic polar regions. So these plasma particles from the sun, they gather in the Earth's atmosphere above the polar regions because of the magnetic fields. There they collect and they swirl around the North and the South Pole, and they mingle with other atoms and particles in our atmosphere, uh, like nitrogen, oxygen, etc. The interaction is what creates this light, it creates a dazzling, ever-changing display that I hope at some point in your life you'll get to see. While the Aurora Borealis is not an uncommon occurrence in the northern climes, it is relatively rare this far south in Missouri. I remember a couple years ago they were saying that uh, the Aurora Borealis might be visible as far south as mid-Missouri again. But uh, I live here in Springfield, obviously, so I didn't see him that time. But To see it in Missouri is relatively rare. Standing on my porch on that winter's night, I was spellbound. I was captivated captivated by something that I had always wanted to see, but I never expected to see here in the Midwest. And I'm thankful for it. After marveling at the lights for a few moments, uh, I reached for the phone, probably back then it was a cordless phone, you know, a landline. Uh, I reached for the phone and I called my parents to tell them and to see if they could see it from their house in Nixa. I mean, they live in Nixa, but I thought, oh, maybe they can see it too. My dad answered and uh, he went outside, but he reported that they were not visible. Why do you think the northern lights weren't visible from Nixa? Springfield (laughs) yeah From my dad's uh, Nixa sits south of Springfield and as you might know Springfield is a decent sized city which (laughs) emits a decent amount of light pollution it sends a just a bubble of light into the atmosphere that obscures uh, the night sky it obscures the stars and it obscures the off chance of seeing aurora borealis From my dad's location, the northern lights could not be seen. Now, maybe this was because they didn't stretch that far south. But it might have also been because of the light pollution. And even if the Aurora Borealis was visible, it's a moot point because he couldn't see it anyway because of the light pollution. So there's a lesson for us here. There's a lesson uh, that I learned and my dad learned in our experience with the Aurora Borealis. Sometimes it's hard for us to see the lights above us because of the light pollution around us. Sometimes it's hard to see the lights above us because of the light pollution around us. Distractions, complications like busyness, denial, confusion, past hurts, ingrained assumptions, all these foster an inability and sometimes an unwillingness To actually see. If we are ever to see the northern lights, among other things, we must recognize that pollution exists, that light pollution exists in our lives, and take whatever steps are necessary to get away from it, to clear our view. To do whatever it takes to intentionally step away. We must find a place where we can get perspective, where we can see clearly. So today, as we join Jesus once again on that hillside in Matthew chapter 5, uh, we find he is continuing his Sermon on the Mount, in which he is speaking truth, he is speaking life to all those who are gathered around him. People from all walks of life, all socioeconomic strata gathered around Jesus that day. We are solidly, solidly underway in our exploration of the Beatitudes, or the beautiful attitudes of Christ, uh, and His upside down kingdom. This vision, this glimpse of His upside down kingdom that He is launching into the world. Last week we heard Jesus say in, verse 3, chapter, in Matthew 5 verse 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. My hope is that we together grew in our understanding of how an awareness and how acceptance of our moral and spiritual bankruptcy is really key to our being able to surrender. It's really key to our salvation and our transformation in Jesus Christ. We have to the, have to get to that point. In whatever way, we must end up at that place that says, "I am broke." I am spiritually bankrupt. Nothing I do is good enough. Nothing I am able to accomplish earns me merit before God. Even my most righteous acts and behaviors are like filthy, soiled rags before God. We must all come to terms with our spiritual bankruptcy if we are ever to be. Uh, become available for that salvation and transformation that Christ wants to enact and effect in our lives. In his sermon, Jesus continues to surprise us. If nothing else, the Sermon on the Mount is full of surprises. Jesus continues to surprise us by saying, those who mourn will be comforted by God. Keep in mind who he's talking to here. They hear Jesus say, hey, all of you who mourn, you will be comforted by God. Have you ever read something in the Bible that the first impulse is to give you hope, but then the second impulse is skepticism? Like, yeah, right. I wish that was true, but that's not been my experience. Well, there were people just like that, just like us, in the crowd that day when Jesus said, you are blessed when you mourn because you will be comforted by God. Jesus tells us with confidence those who are heartbroken will be held close by their Creator. Those who are heartbroken will be held close by their Creator. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Let's read verses 1 through 4 today. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus' hearers, just like us, they lived in a world that was scarred by death and suffering. They lived in a world that was just punctuated and permeated, shot through with death and suffering. They were each familiar with grief. They had each endured much for which they too had mourned. Jesus didn't have to explain or give a definition to mourn. Those who mourn. And what I mean by that is those who've gone through stuff that's really hard to process emotionally. He didn't have to explain. He just says, those who mourn. And everyone looks at Him and nods like, yeah... That's us we know what it's like to mourn much much can be said and much has been said about Jesus's compassion for people especially in the midst of great pain and loss we read the Gospels and we see that Jesus had a had a uh, big heart he felt things very deeply for those who suffered and those who were in pain Jesus came close and Jesus felt deeply what others were feeling in pain and loss, no one can seriously doubt that Jesus cares about our misery. No one can read the Bible and come away as like, yeah, Jesus is pretty callous. That's not what you can come away with. I would send you right back to reread it if that's what you said to me, that Jesus is pretty much thick-skinned and callous. He doesn't care. If we read the Bible No one can seriously doubt that Jesus cares about our misery. Scripture tells us about how God himself leans forward and hears the cries of the brokenhearted. He actually perceives and hears and pays attention to the cries of the brokenhearted. His ear is attentive to those who are in deep anguish. Have you read these parts of the Bible? Well, let's visit one this morning. At, look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 17 and 18. Hear the psalmist say The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help, he rescues them from all their trouble. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. May we hear that afresh this morning. This psalmist is talking about our God, the nature, the character of our God. He is close to the brokenhearted and He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I mean, that sounds severe. That's not just like, I'm feeling a little down today. That's deep anguish. He comforts those who are in deep anguish. Here again, we must be careful not to simply hear Jesus' words as comforting our physical pain. Okay, we must have a a wider angle lens on here, okay? We must be careful not to hear Jesus' words as only comforting our physical pain or as being only assurances regarding our temporal losses. Does Jesus care about those things? Yes, he cares about those things too. But he also cares about our deeper identity, our deeper uh, being. Jesus is pointing our hearts toward a deeper truth. Jesus is saying, he's communicating here that our spiritual condition apart from God is the root cause of our deepest grief. The greatest grief of all that humanity will ever know is our separation from God because of our sin and our disobedience. Our sin and our disobedience, it's the true reason. It's the true cause for our most profound sense of mourning. It's our most profound sense of mourning, or it should be. Here Jesus is speaking to those who see it those who are willing to recognize it, those who see the pollution of sin in the world around them and they are struck to the heart. They look at the world and they grieve. They look at the brokenness and the effects of sin and they mourn. Jesus is speaking to those who are willing to recognize and grieve the human condition. And I think we understand what he's talking about because all of us, to some degree, have looked around and felt this growing sense of just like, oh, heaviness. Our world is so beset by brokenness and sin. Jesus is speaking to those who are willing to recognize and grieve our shared human condition. Jesus speaks to those among his listeners who, like the psalmist, cry out, as the as psalmist says in Psalm 119, 136, Rivers of tears gush from my eyes because people disobey your instructions. God, rivers of tears are gushing from my eyes because I look around and I see that people are disobeying your instructions. Jesus comforts those who, along with James in James 4, 9, cry out, Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. We look around like James and say, Guys, do you see what's going on? We should all be in mourning. We're all lost. We're all separated from God. Our hearts should be broken for the sin and the suffering we see in our world. But in order to do so, to, 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 for our hearts to break, we have to be intentional about getting clear of the cultural clutter that, that insulates us from seeing it. If we're going to truly step into and feel and understand, embrace uh, all the sin and suffering, the brokenness in our world, we have to step away from that which insulates us, that cultural clutter or that light pollution we talked about. Matt Smethurst with the uh, Gospel Coalition uh, explains it this way. He said, given the human condition... Jesus' promise, Jesus's promise to comfort those who mourn sin could scarcely be more counterintuitive. Given the spirit of our age, it could scarcely be more countercultural. Sin in the late modern West is not grieved. Sin in the late modern West is not grieved. It's not disapproved of. It's not merely tolerated. It's, it is celebrated. It is celebrated. Our society does not mourn sin. Our society does not mourn sin. It mourns those who mourn sin. Yet, we can succumb to similar tendencies, can't we? No doubt, one reason we fail to mourn sin is because we underestimate it. Hold on to that. One reason we fail to mourn sin is because we underestimate it. We assume it's little more than a cosmic parking ticket. But sin is not trivial sin is not trivial it is treason it is treason it is an insurrection against heaven's throne we have never committed a small sin you me we have never committed a small sin because we have never offended a small God Schneikes, does that make you shiver a little bit like oh no We're in a grave situation here. We have never committed a small sin because we have never offended a small God. We've committed treason against the very throne of heaven, insurrection. In other words, as the Puritan Thomas Watson says, until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. We have to come to the place where we are almost overcome by the sense of bitterness that comes from our sin and separation from God if Christ is ever to enter the scene and be sweet. So, here is something important to notice and remember. Get this, okay? And let me back up. The, fall to call, to, the call to follow Jesus is a call in detention, where we are called upon to hold things in tension. Okay, an awareness of our sin and separation This like, uh, factor, with also the, uh, factor, okay? Do you ever, you feel that like, oh, I'm a wretch, I'm a child of the king, what? You know, how does this play out, right? Tension, get used to it. Here's something uh, important to notice and remember. Once we recognize and grieve our sin and spiritual bankruptcy... What is God going to do? Once we recognize our sin and spiritual bankruptcy, we do not find God rubbing our nose in it. How surprising is this? God doesn't take us back to our sin and just rub our nose in it. He doesn't make us run laps. We don't find God gloating over our our, our sorry condition. Has this ever surprised you with God? That he's never uh, spiking the football about our dumbness, right? Like, yep, I told you. Idiot. He's never doing this. He's never gloating over our sorry condition. Instead, what do we find? We find God is eager to forgive us. And more than that, he's not just willing to let bygones be bygones. He says, I forgive you, and I want you to come back home. I want you to come back close to me you belong in my family I pray that that still blows your mind a little bit that not only does the God creator of the universe say I forgive you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ but because of the 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 life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ I did this all so you could be forgiven yes but you could come back home to me you can find your place once again in my family Wow. God forgives us and He welcomes us back home. Hear God's response to His beloved people in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 2, where He says, Comfort, comfort my people. Comfort my people. He speaks to Isaiah, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Comfort my people. Your sins are pardoned. Your sad days are gone. Isaiah goes on to announce God's intention among His people. And this passage is iconic because it's the passage Jesus uses to launch His ministry uh, in Luke chapter 4. At the outset of His earthly ministry, He goes to this Isaiah passage and says, Guys, I want to start with this. This is the anthem. This is the theme. This is my mission statement about what I'm going to affect among you. Look at Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Tell To all who mourn in Israel... He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. It's telling that Jesus launches his ministry with this very passage. This is what he has come to do. Matt Smethurst finishes up by saying if Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 is true if Jesus really meets repentance with comfort not condemnation then no longer do you need to fear being exposed no longer do you have to present an airbrushed version of yourself to fellow redeemed sinners No longer do you need to fear studying your heart or plumbing the depths of your disease. Ultimately, our comfort is anchored in the reality that Jesus doesn't just mourn sin, He conquers it. Jesus doesn't just mourn our sin, He comes and He conquers it. He invites us into this moral vision, this upside-down kingdom, and then dies in our place so that we too can enter it guys this is remarkable stuff we find God's comfort when we see clearly and we mourn our sin when we see clearly and we mourn our need for salvation which comes that salvation which only comes through faith in Jesus Christ it all points us back to Jesus Christ God's grace shines brightly like the aurora borealis above us, all around us. And what God is doing can even shine within us, but we must be willing to do whatever it takes to see it. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came among us and he uh, talked about the unexpected blessing that comes through faith god he came and he, he he dwelt among us and he experienced the full range of human joy of human suffering he took it upon himself entered into it and then he conquered our sin he didn't just live with us or die for us but he rose to lead us into new creation god we, we're just It's remarkable. We're flabbergasted when we hear that Jesus didn't just come to forgive our sins. He actually came to forgive our sins and bring us back home to you. God, your desire is to dwell among us, for us to be a living temple, a place where your glory dwells. And God, you're affecting that work even now in the power of Christ's resurrection. So God, I pray that each and every one of us would would, uh, become more and more comfortable or... uh, I don't know, competent in that tension of understanding the great abyss of our sin and how that separated us from you and how our world suffers because of it. Yet in the midst of that, a light is shining, a light of hope, a light of promise that because of Jesus Christ, all things are being made new even now, that His kingdom is already at hand and we're invited to participate and to become more and more at home in that upside-down kingdom. So God, do a work, send your Holy Spirit, Um, speak to our hearts today. God, I think a lot of people have been living in hiding, living in denial, uh, unwilling to admit that they uh, are broken, they're spiritually bankrupt, and that their only hope is in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would uh, renew our faith and our willingness to trust in Jesus Christ alone today. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for your time this morning. I, I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit will continue to work the, the message, the, the, the transformative power of Christ and His, his Word, of His ministry, uh, that which we find in the Sermon on the Mount and all through the Gospels, into our daily life as we live it out. Uh, a couple of announcements I'd like to make. Uh, first, uh, students. Uh, Kendi, what do you guys have for students tonight? Okay, at Curtis and Kennedy's house, six to eight, continuing the James study. Awesome. Uh, Hey, I got super pumped last week telling you about your church. (laughs) Your church. There's going to be some information coming out this week about it, but September 6th, which is Labor Day weekend, that Sunday, we're not going to meet here. We're going to meet down in Reed Springs at the Francis' Yurts, at the Forest Garden Yurts. So we're going to meet there at 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, it's going to be a day full of fun. We're going to have a, kind of a 5 by 15. So we're going to have a sign-up sheet for people who want to do uh, songs or play music or card tricks, whatever. Whatever you do. Uh, um, but a time to just kind of share our talents together. Uh, we'll have a time of devotional. We'll open God's Word for a bit together. Uh, we're going to have lunch, uh, I think Amanda's going to make campfire chili or something like that. So a big bunch of chili and uh, we'll provide all the food um, and s'mores while we'll the big campfire and stuff going. She really, really wants me to tell you that you guys are welcome to camp down there too. There's uh, great places to camp uh, on their property. So you can come down Friday, stay through Monday, do whatever you want. That camp down there and it's, it's all taken care of, it's all free. So. September 6th, mark your calendar uh, for two reasons. One, we want you to be there. And two, we don't want you to be here because no one will be here. And that'd be sad if you're sitting here just with a tear tracing down your cheek because no one's here. Uh, Love Thy Neighbor um, is August 14th. And August 28th, from 1 to 2.30 p.m., that is our partnership with Victory Mission. Uh, It's a mobile food pantry that comes and sets up in our parking lot. And we come and we just meet people as they come through, offer to pray, offer to help address some of their uh, uh, other needs and their food insecurity. And uh, we've done it a couple times now and just really met some great people and had some good conversations. So if you're available on those second and fourth Friday afternoons from 1 to 2.30, this is a great way to get involved. So if you have questions about that, you can see me. Uh, You can talk to Heather Haynes or uh, Deborah Lacey about that opportunity. Love thy neighbor. All right, kids focus time. Kelly, nice work this morning. That was a great thing to do for the kids. They had a good time. we're going to need to build a big list of people who are willing to take a Sunday and do our kids focus uh, time. So if you're interested in being a part of that, I've already had some people express interest in being on that list, uh, talk to me or talk to Heather Haynes, who's my pastoral ministry assistant. She's back there in the blue mask, back row Baptist. Um, wait, sorry, can I say back row Baptist? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, sign up. Uh, it'll be fun. And uh, we're going to try to make it so that there's... Um, it's an easy opportunity for you to get involved so we can have some activities to send back with the kids to the to their seats but uh, we want to make it a a successful thing for our church but also for you if you all want to help out with that so see us please uh this is the from the not awesome not comfortable talking about department um giving as you can probably imagine the shutdown the lockdown has really had a a a pretty significant impact on um, our church Uh, attendance wise as you can see but also giving wise we we set a pretty conservative budget we have a lean pretty lean operation but while attendance and giving have gone down our financial commitments have not and so uh, just so you know I mean at this point in the year our giving is about 25% 25% down. And uh, so it's hard to fulfill the things that we've said yes to um, and we wanna continue saying yes to. Uh, but that's a, a team effort. This isn't, and I don't think you understand church to be this way, this isn't um, church as a vendor of religious goods and services, this is a family. So it's a, it, it's a, it makes sense that we all are aware of what's going on. So I wanna encourage you to really be praying about how uh, you can give faithfully during this time just so that we can meet our commitments. Um, we, we've cut what we can cut, but there's some aspects that we can't really control. Uh, the giving aspect, uh, we can all commit to that. and We can all take care of that. We believe that God's given us everything we need to do all that he's called us to do. Uh, it's already here. So we're going to trust in God in that. But I, I pray that everyone would uh, participate. Speaking of that, then, there's an iPad back there. There's two baskets. There's one at the crossroads right behind Richard and uh, one back there. Uh, If you give, um, may the Lord bless you. But we see the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship. So we want to be intentional about offering opportunity for that. So, Lastly, there's t-shirts. Maybe. Yeah, there's t-shirts in the back. Uh, We had some Hope and Anchor t-shirts made as a fundraiser for Italy. Uh, If you're interested in buying a t-shirt, they're back there. Any money that... uh, uh, is, is uh, any the profit from that goes into our Italy fund so for future uh, mission endeavors so uh, any other announcements I missed I felt like a lot great let's stand and pray as the Lord taught us our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread, and give us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, everyone. Have a good afternoon.